we have lost our ability to have these familiar relationships. They have polarized us. They have turned us into racists and bigots and, and liberals and conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and, uh, you know, pro-life and pro-death. And, and, and every fault line has been deeply cemented in the indoctrination camp they've been in this whole time. You're listening to The Alex Spicer Show, where we explore the fundamental principles of freedom and happiness in light of current and historical events. By exploring these principles, I hope to enlighten and inspire you to make the difference our nation needs to get through the troubled waters of today and tomorrow. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to The Alex Spicer Show. I am super excited here that I have the opportunity to interview Sam Bushman. So, for those of you, uh, this name may be very familiar to you. So Sam Bushman, he is the host of the nationally syndicated uh, radio show called Liberty Roundtable. And uh, he's been doing this show. It's also uh, recorded as a podcast, but he's been doing this for over 25 years now. Uh, and uh, one of the things I love about Sam Bushman's show is he discusses current events um, and also concerns in a very clear-headed manner, and also from uh, the standpoint, uh, I guess the same sort of standpoint of principles and uh, morals that I align myself with as well. And he not only talks about these issues that are um, national, but he also talks about these issues that are also local. And something uh, that he likes to say is, you know, he's there to protect life, liberty, and uh, property, and also promote God, family, and country, and the tra- and the traditions of our family founding fathers. He is a husband, father, and grandfather, and uh, I-, I find him to be a very clear-headed individual. So I'm super exa- excited to have you on here, Sam. Hey, thanks, Alex. Delighted to be here, sir. So, Sam, uh, tell tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of. Um, how did you get get yourself started in talking, you know, on the radio about these things? Because I don't think everyone wakes up. Uh, it, there's not many people who will wake up one day and go, you know what? I should talk about current events and and kind of give my opinion on it. And and I feel like that would be a good thing to do. What what, what got you started down that road? So this is kind of an interesting uh, topic. When I was a kid, I grew up in the early '70s, late '60s as a kid in Southern California. And I'm a totally blind person, and so all my friends would be playing baseball, and I'd sit on the sidelines and listen to a radio. And I used to listen to guys like Wolfman Jack and stuff like that. They were rock and roll <laughs> DJs, and I'm like, man, I want to do that. I could, I could do that. I could be like that guy. Uh, and so my mom, when I was about five or six years old, believe it or not, checked into broadcasting school, and they're like, forget it, kid. It's like being a rock star. You'll never make it. <laughs> and uh, so fast forward, I went to college, and I was working on getting a degree in psychology, and uh, I was helping the girls in the computer lab. You know, it was kind of fun. There's girls there. They need help. You get to help them. And, hey, that was all right for me. And so I started helping girls in the computer lab. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me. And he says, hey, kid, you want a job? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess. He's like, well, you can make some money while you're going to college. And I'm like, sounds great. So then I started getting money, making money to help the girls. Well, I never got a degree in psychology at all. Uh, But I did learn a lot about computers and how I got into computers in the first place was a friend of mine said, hey, you need to get a computer that help you read. You could scan whatever you want. You could read anything, listen to it. And that's what got me started in computers. And I found out that I did better with computers than people. Anyway, make a a long story short to fast forward. Then I was hanging out with a friend of mine working on a political campaign. It was actually Bo Wright running for president back in the early 90s. And we heard a radio talk show late at night. And it was from a guy who's passed away now, who's kind of my mentor in radio by the name of Jerry Hughes. And he had a radio program called Washington on Trial. 
And I thought, yeah, that's a killer name. I like that. But I listened to the program, and it was so radical. I thought, you know what? These guys are, this is bogus. You can't be saying this kind of stuff on the radio. Uh, but I said, you know what? Either they need to be shut down or they need to be promoted, depending on what the truth is. And I researched. I found out they were telling the truth. So we went to the radio station owner, and we said, hey, you know, can we put this radio program on during the day? Because, you know, it's hard to hear super late at night. And the guy's like, oh, I don't know. I just turn on the satellite and go home. Oh. And we're like, yeah, but we want to hear this during the day. And they're like, forget it. We don't want to put it on the day. And we said, well, we'll pay you. And they said, okay. And that's how I got started in radio. Uh, and then I eventually sold a house. I built my wife a house. <laughs> and sadly, <laughs> a couple of years later, I sold it and bought a radio station. <laughs> and we learned by owning an AM radio station how to do radio. We ran that station for about 10 years, a buddy of mine and I. And then we, uh, I eventually sold that station and went into nationally syndicated radio after that. But the funny part about it all is, is I get to combine talk radio with wanting to be in radio as a little kid with my modern-day computer skills. It's interesting. I'm not an old-style engineer like the old satellite, or I'm sorry, like the old... Um, you know, transmitter engineer guys, but when it comes to computers, it, it just came natural to me. And so I've learned all that I know about radio by the school of hard knocks, sir. That's amazing. Uh, that, that's really incredible. Um, actually, uh, kind of along that same vein, where you had mentioned it in your experience, you thought these guys are radical. They should either be shut down or <laughs> promoted, depending on what the truth is. Uh, what What have you learned from from that experience? And then also since running uh, your own show about what the truth is and, and how it can be radical to the uninformed. So I learned a couple of things from a radio station owner point of view or somebody that's involved in advertising and, you know, needing to generate money. Uh, being in the media is not, not inexpensive. It's very expensive, uh, as you know. Um, and it takes a lot of time, and it takes money, uh, et cetera. And so I learned from an advertiser point of view and a running a radio station point of view, you know what? The sponsors either want to control you or drop you like a rock. They get rid of you. Uh, and if you're not controllable, they get rid of you. And if you're controllable, they have this incredible... Uh, dampening effect on what you say in the media. And so I learned quickly <laughs> that you got to kind of fund your own media if you're serious about it. You got to find like-minded people that'll help you, but you can't rely on the traditional advertisers. And so I learned that very quickly uh, in radio as an owner. From a talk show host point of view, I've learned that the more you tell the truth, the more you stand with the sacred cause of liberty, the less liked you'll be and the less support you'll get. And I don't mean that from the average listener point of view, but I mean that from the corporate world. I mean that from the government side of things. I mean that for the big business side of things. A quick example, you know what, this vaccine coming to market on the COVID, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, you ought to take it. And the example they give is, hey, you eat hot dogs, you don't know what are in the hot dogs, so why do you have to know what's in the vaccines? And my <laughs> response is, look, it's a matter of big pharma getting big money for solutions that are marginal at best and risky, to say the least. And to me, there's a lot better inexpensive solutions that are available. Okay, ivermectin, for example, is a great solution for the COVID, and it costs almost nothing. Well, they won't promote it, and they won't talk about it, but it's extremely effective. And so the more you take on big pharma, the more you take on big business, the more you hold government to account. You know, it's like shining the light, the cockroaches scramble. And, and so I've learned that, you know what, to be a truth teller is a very dicey business. You will not be liked. They will call you a racist. Now imagine this. They call me a racist, but I'm a totally blind person, as I mentioned at the start of the, of the interview. Yeah. I have no idea what color you are, and I don't care. <laughs> if you're a nice person and you believe in the principles that I do, then we're friends and associates, and we can work together. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay, too. But you can go your way, and I'll go mine. 
It has nothing to do with race or creed or color or any of those things for me. It has to do with like-minded, honest people or friends of mine and people who are not like-minded and who are not honest. I would prefer to go my way and they can go their way. But it's interesting how because their narrative is to call everybody a racist, they're calling me a racist. And so I jokingly say I'm going to go on CNN and I have to ask and when I get on their panels what race everybody is so I know how to treat them. <laughs> it's just kind of a joke to highlight the point. But you know what? They're not telling you the truth about that. But they'll use any trick in the book to try to demarginalize you, to try to uh, create a credibility crisis for you. Uh, and for me, over the 25 years I've been in the media, it doesn't work. The more we stand with the truth, the more difficult it is for them to the point where, you know what? They don't talk about me much now because they know when they do, they lose. So that's actually so fascinating. Um, on my show and on social media, I've I've often promoted you know, people should should you know really research and learn from those who are very clear minded and and honest about issues. Um, especially those people who can go very much against the the grain the the uh the the norm that the progressives uh, left wants us to believe in, such as Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams. But then uh, I think. This you know, you are you are also one of those people who fit into that um <laughs> that non traditional grain because how can you be racist if you don't know if you if you really you don't know what race is right like like race in, in terms well I of hear like, that people are different colors but if they're nice people then they're nice people right that's right and that's that's the thing right and so, so I I have the phrase that I say this you know what we're all God's children let's act like it exactly. Yeah, let, let, let's treat each other properly. There, there's there's so much more to to human beings than just the color of their skin. It, you know, the, the, we we have different different cultures, we have different values, um, but we also have a lot of similarities that can bring us together. You know, we're all human beings, and like you said, you know, we're we're children of God. And that alone, I think, as, as a Christian, that should allow us to to supersede any other. Um, uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Differences, pre- cultures, yeah, pre- prejudice. We, have. we, yeah, we all prejudice want the same things, have. though. You know what? Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to have a, a relative degree of freedom. And that might be in the eyes of the beholder. If you've never lived free, if you've lived in a communist country, you may not know freedom like we know it. But everybody wants to be left alone. Everybody wants to have those familial relationships. Everybody wants to um, feel like they make a difference in the world. Everybody wants to try to contribute to the world. We all want the same fundamental things, right? Yeah. You're right. Truthfully, um, I, I feel like there's there's actually a major indicator that that is the case, You know that we want to... We want to be treated the same, that we want to be heard, right? We, we have this uh, desire to have our emotions um, listened to, right? And, and and to some degree validated. And, and I feel like there there's there's a degree to which that can be done um, in society, but where that needs to be done primarily within the family. But when you see the family break down and then suddenly uh, when there's no real family structure or support there, people turn to politics to find their own tribe, their, their own support. And then... Uh, politics all it is is power and so if people are going to seek validation and their only family is is a family of power is politics then that's where they try to get people to uh, agree with them with, with to validate their emotions and feelings even if it's completely contradictory to the facts and then to now legislate around that when really if we could have more open conversations i feel like we'd we'd be, see a, a major de-radicalization uh, from politics because people would suddenly recognize that their neighbor 
is just like them. Their neighbor cares about them. Their neighbor's there for them. They also have similar concerns or, or you know, they're, they're, they're human too, but that's, that's very much missing. The need to be loved, the need to be accepted is there for everyone. Some seek it in politics and especially identity politics, which I reject. I think we need principle-based politics. Uh, and I actually don't believe in politics at all. I believe everything is really a moral issue. There is no political issues. There's only moral issues. Uh, and um, what is interesting to me is if you don't find it in politics, uh, a lot of people find it in gangs. If they don't find it in gangs, they find it in their local, you know, uh, Garth Brooks talking about your National Bar Association. You find it in the bar. People go places where they can find acceptance and love and to some degree of what they consider respect. Now, uh, those who have not been given the proper guidance at being raised might look for love in all the wrong places. Nevertheless, that seeking for that, that desire is innate and true, uh, and people will find it wherever they go. And I pray that we can find it uh, in God, family, and country. I pray that we can find it in those things that I believe matter most and that will uh, allow people to live a value-based life, self-governing life based on governing values. And I love what you said there. Now, let me ask you, like, uh, this is a kind of a, maybe a dumb, obvious question to ask, but I, I love hearing people's perspective on this. Why do you pray that we look for it, you know, in God, family, and country, like, like those areas. Like, why that as opposed to anything else? So I'm of the opinion that God is the author of our liberty. And I'm not here to define God in my specific view necessarily. God meaning, as the founding fathers focused on, a higher source of authority than government. Some people believe in a deist view. Some people believe in God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are three separate beings. Some people believe in the Trinity. I'm okay with those differences in theology. But to acknowledge that there's a higher source than government is vitally important. To understand that there is more than just a randomness to the universe. And there is an author of liberty who loves us and who has given us guidelines for success in our lives. That's where self-governing uh, moral compass comes from, this idea that there's a greater source who has my best interest in mind. And I believe that once you tap into that source, whatever, however you theologically define it is fine, but when you tap into that source, you begin to have this innate spirit about you of respect and love, and I am somebody. My heritage is dignified. I am uh, somebody of worth. I have innate worth as an, an individual a son or a daughter of this greater source or a, p a power of authority, that gives purpose to life. And then when I say God, family, and country, I believe family is the fundamental unit that this author of the universe has provided to help us all make it through this difficult life. Uh, they've given us a structure, a mother, a father, brothers and sisters, all designed to help us have this thing that we all seek for, which is love and support and uh, community. Uh, and those around us who will give us, you know, strength and help us through the difficult times and, you know, cry with us and laugh with us, if you will. Uh, and so that then, when it comes from God to family, country is nothing more than an, than an external version of our families. In other words, society is a mirror of our family. Uh, if families are strong uh, and they uh, stay together, pray together, eat together, live together, love together, cry together, society will mirror that moral wholeness or goodness. If, if the family breaks down and there's no relationship to a higher power, then what fills that power? The answer is a vacuum. And that might be the gang. That might be your local political persuasion. That might be, but none of those things can fulfill the fundamental purposes of the moral high ground that God and family provide. That's why. 
That's beautifully said. I love that. So then why I want to, I want to get your perspective on this. Then why would people disregard those? Why, why do we see those very values um, being thrown away uh, today? Actually, even for the last 50 years. So I believe in a battle between good and evil, and I believe that war was waged in heaven. If, you're, if you look at it from a biblical base, uh, basis, the war in heaven was waged uh, by Lucifer, son of the morning, who wanted to disrupt all evil. And he wanted to force us all to choose a certain way, but he would bring us back all safe and effective, if you will. The war in heaven is talked about in the Bible. I believe that war has continued on earth, and it's merely a war between good and evil, right and wrong, moral and immoral. And we're in the middle and must decide with our agency whom we will serve. And uh, I believe agency is a fundamental principle of who we are as human beings. The animals don't really have agency, the ability to choose and know right from wrong as we do. So there's a uniqueness to us being children of Almighty God, his literal offspring, according to the Bible. Uh, And in that sense, then, I believe we have a a duty to do right or wrong uh, as we choose. And as we do right, we will be blessed and protected by Almighty God. And as we choose to go against him, we will lose that protection. And I think in this war, uh, media and, and society at large has literally fundamentally rejected God's way. And it's been done through all history, right? And when people turn away from God, they lose their liberties. And when they obey God's laws, they retain uh, their liberties and and receive blessings from, uh, again, this greater source of power above and beyond government. And it's all based on this self-governing principle. The moral high ground is the way I call it. Awesome. You know, some of the things you have said have made me think about how we we have— it makes you think of like whited sepulchers, uh, as Jesus put it. You know, on the exterior we can look all good, but inside <laughs> we are rotting corpses, right? And that's what I feel like um, we are becoming more and more as a nation when it comes to these sort of values, because um, we have we have uh, the form but no real substance. It, when I think of that, I'm thinking of, oh, uh, all men are created equal. We all deserve equal rights. And those are more like mantras or, or, or <laughs> just statements that have no meaning to them because there's no longer a God behind them, right? There's no longer... Yeah, they have meaning in that, hey, we're all equal except for some are more equal than others. Yeah. <laughs> or this That's idea exactly that right. their lips draw near me, but their hearts are far from me. This idea that we feign good under the guise of evil and vice versa. We feign evil under the guise of good. And I think we need to learn to make popular that which is good and unpopular that which is evil. And we need to be clear about the moral high ground and the stances we take. And that's why I focus on God, family, and country. But I don't pick the keys to theology for each person to acknowledge that there's a higher source than government of authority, power, and and eternal principles uh, is key. But to force my theology on you or vice versa, I believe we've missed the boat, right? Yes. Uh, So there's definitely a culture war that is taking place uh, across the nation and even across the world. And, and some of the um, things I wanted to talk to you about were, was the culture war, the shifting of culture that's happening nationally, but also locally here in Utah. Uh, I do want to start more at the national level since we're already there. And also because of this broader level, it helps us provide context for uh, what the concerns are at the Utah level. But this, this culture war that's taking place, what what would you say are the greatest um, influencers for uh, destroying America's original culture that that had this emphasis on 
uh, on God, faith, family, you know, liberty, like those things that we have been discussing, what would you say are the, are the greatest actors or influencers that tear that down? It doesn't have to be an individual. It, it could be ideology or, or yeah, anything it, it, else. It's a principle in my mind. I believe there's a litmus test that we can all take. And that has to do with what kind of respect we have for the pro-life movement in view. So they want you to believe it's pro-choice, but that's a lie. The only choice they support is pro-death. Yeah. So you've got basically pro-death versus pro-life. And when we're talking about the most innocent among us, meaning the babies, then I think that really is the litmus test for us all. Because if we're not going to protect babies, the most innocent among us, how are we going to protect my life as, say, an old man? So now you got the most innocent, the young. you got the elderly. How are you going to protect my rights as a father, as a husband, uh, as an employee or an employer or a contributor to society? How are you going to protect my Liber- my liberty and my property if you're not even going to protect life. And so in my opinion, the big key is the life test. And if we uh, protect life and preserve life and defend life as the purpose of the United States was, then I think that we're on a great track to obey the principles of, of this higher source of authority than government, uh, deity, if you will. Uh, and I think that liberty can be preserved and blessings will come from obedience to those eternal principles that are at stake. If we turn our back on life, I don't see how any other right or any other principle or any other understanding, uh, you know, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness, whatever term you choose, I don't see how we can expect that to be protected. Okay? So that's number one is this pro-life view. Can I actually just interject here before you keep going? Sorry, something you said really struck a nerve with me, you know, talking about preserving life and, and, you know, we can't defend even the most innocent. And it made me think of, you know, they don't have a voice. We have to give them a voice, right? And you would hope that the mother would give them a voice, but in connection, what really actually kind of triggered me here. And I wanted to interject was because I recently, just this week, I lost my grandmother. Um, she, she contracted COVID, um, and it looked like she had overcome COVID, but then as what's typical with COVID is, uh, it reduces your immune system and then something else can come along and just take you out. And that's actually what just happened. And she passed away on, on Wednesday. And um, I'm so sorry to hear that, sir. Yeah. It, what, what was really actually a great miracle, but not, not an easily one miracle was the fact that, um, so she's up in the Logan area and my aunt and uncle live up there and they got to go in and be with her during the last hour of her life and, and was able to use FaceTime and, and let her children see her. But that was a hard one miracle. They were telling them, no, you may not. When, when she went to the doctor at the hospital and the hospital's like, we can't really do anything here. We could send her to the, to a more advanced hospital in Ogden, but truthfully that may not do anything anyway. So, you know, the decision was to take her back to the, to the nursing home where she is that way. There's a higher chance of family being able to be around her because definitely if she's at an ICU at a hospital, they're not going to let family in there at all with the COVID restrictions. Unfortunately, well, right. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a, lo- a big problem with that. But even e- even with that in mind, we, my uncle said, all right, let's take her back to the nursing home. But actually, he his original decision was, well, take her home with me. I want her to come home with me. And the doctor told him, you cannot. I'm, I, I cannot allow you to take her home with you because of this. You know, she's had COVID. You know, maybe she could still pass it on. Maybe she's still transmitting. But like that was so upsetting to me because it's, hey, this is this. If, if if I'm in my uncle's shoes, you know, this is my mother. I have a, uh, I have um, uh, uh, 
attorney oh what's the word i'm looking for power of attorney over her so like i i have both legal and also familial rights over her you are telling me i cannot take her home with me and he literally did not allow that and then so she went to the nursing nursing home the nursing home said we cannot let you in and so luckily we we called them and and, and harangued them enough that they finally said okay you can let you we can let you come in and they and they had her in a part in a wing of the nursing home that was completely empty so it was safe for everyone but yeah, to we, me, this that, is where they're relying on the arm of flesh, and they're denying the God thereof. Exactly, right? So you talk about like this this life litmus test. We're already seeing the effects of, of the fact that we are willing to kill the most innocent, uh, and, and we don't give them a voice. We decide for them. We see that transposed upon us even through the, the COVID pandemic issue, where they people are going to decide for us what is, what is better for our family members. And I know that we were so blessed— that we had family that that was finally allowed in there to be with her as she died. But I know that there have been countless numbers of people who have not had that right. Like they have been denied that right, that special intimacy uh, of having family around you when you pass. And I th- that's a, that's a huge disgrace. And I think I feel like you, you hit the nail on the head. We this life test. You know, we're seeing the effects of it trickle down in other areas. Yeah, my buddy Eric Mutsos, well-known guy in Utah. Uh, did an interview with a lady who was denied access to her, her um, I can't remember if it was the daughter of some, but her child nevertheless, and the baby died and they weren't able to spend time with the baby or, or uh, give love to the oh baby my. before the, the pass. I mean, it was a horrible uh, discussion. And this just kind of goes to where I'm, I'm talking about. We need to have respect for life. We need to have respect for family. And we can't let government become the highest source of, of discernment and decision-making uh, in our lives. Government is here to support life, liberty, and property. And when it doesn't meet those purposes, I submit to you that that government uh, is leading the people to a very, very bad place. The second issue, in addition to the pro-life focus, I think is so critical, is honest money. And so right now in America, we have the Federal Reserve, which is a private banking cartel of thugs. Uh, go study it if you don't believe me. It's no more federal than the federal, you know, it's like Federal Express. It's not federal at all. It's not government. It's a private banking uh consortium uh the federal reserve and congress doesn't have authority to turn the money over to the bankers but they have but what we need in america is honest money constitutional currency gold and silver currency Uh, in the bible they call it honest weights and measures and so when i look at honest money versus fake money one is asset based honest money is asset based it's got intrinsic value gold and silver Uh, the uh, fiat currency that we have today the fake money is debt-based. It's not asset-based. It's debt-based currency. And when you play in that realm, then it's subject to dishonest dealings. Uh, they make, uh, For example, a $100 bill costs like two cents to make, but then they put on the face of it as $100 versus a dollar. Well, it costs the same amount to make both pieces of paper, but one has a $100 value. The other one has a dollar value. They both cost about two and a half cents to make. Um, you know, will the real Slim Shady please stand up kind of a discussion. <laughs> In addition yeah. to that dishonesty of creation, something out of nothing, which God doesn't even purport to do, uh, is this idea that now they're going to charge interest on top of that. So they add insult to injury in our economy. And I submit to you that if we don't have honest money, how can you be honest in any other dealings relating to money? The answer is you can't. Now, to prove the point about a dollar, just so people can understand that I do know what I'm talking about, I want you to take a Silver Eagle 2020. The Mint for the United States of America, the Treasury, makes them. They're a 2020 Silver Eagle 
It says silver dollar on it, and it's 99.9 troy ounce silver is what it is, okay? It says on there that it's a dollar. But do you know how many paper dollars it takes to buy one of those? How many? Right now, it's approximately 25 to 30, depending on the fluctuation. <laughs> wow. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is I want the real dollar, the real Slim Shady, to please stand up. And the answer is, uh, if our money's not debased, why does it take 25 or 30 fake Federal Reserve notes or paper dollars to buy one Silver Eagle silver dollar? The government supposedly puts its stamp that they're both a dollar, right? Yeah. Which one's telling the truth? And the answer is the silver dollar is. Uh, it always has been and always will be. And it used to be to where there was one paper dollar. They didn't call them Federal Reserve notes. They called them United States notes. And you could trade one of those paper dollars in. It was redeemable for a silver dollar. Now it takes 25 to 30 of them to do so. Damn. And so they have debased our currency literally that many times, 25 to 30 to 1, just in the silver realm to make the point. So anyway, I, I go around the barn a little bit, except to say I want people to understand if we don't have honesty when it comes to pro-life and the truth and the value of God-ordained life, and if we don't have honesty in our money, can we expect any other parts of society to be honorable? And I, the, answer, the short answer is I think not. And so we need to reclaim the moral high ground, in my humble opinion. Those are the two biggest issues I see in America where we need to come to our senses or repent or change, whatever you want to call it, uh, and, and make a difference. Those are the, the key issues because everything else is trickled down from those core issues. That is that is a great, uh, great insight. That's beautifully said. So you talk about reclaiming the high ground. What, what do you think that we could do? Because one of the things I'm really concerned with is we can talk – all day about what what the negative what's negatively impacting uh, the the culture our, our our nation as a whole etc. But then I feel like there's so little action, uh, especially from those who are conservative who are constitutionally minded. There's very little action to them, and maybe there's always the excuse they're caught up in into working their own jobs, their own lives. But there's got to be ways, small and great, that they can uh, they can defend these things. What are your ideas on that? So the third issue that I would point to is education. And again, education is the same thing. Do we have honesty in education? And when you have uh, education in America like we have today, they call it public education. Uh, but it's not really public education, okay? Public education is when we go down and have a barn raising and we raise a schoolhouse. And then we have the teacher stay in our house for free for room and board and stuff like that. And the teacher goes from home to home. You might have uh, public education. What we have today is government education. It's not public education at all because it's by compulsion, by force. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the education system we have in America today is straight out of the 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto, compulsory education for all. And so one of the things that we need to do as the American people is jettison government education. It's really nothing but an indoctrination camp for the youth. And you could say that I'm being very harsh on this, but I submit to you that it's absolutely not debatable. It's true. And the only way to bring it back is to have home-based education or private school education. Uh, and some say, I can't afford it. It's too expensive. I understand. It's hard. It's complicated. I understand. But I also understand that nothing worth having um, is easy. Okay? Anything that, that we really uh, prize and care about requires sacrifice. Sacrifice brings the blessings. And so I've got eight children five grandchildren to date and growing. Uh, four of my children are married. Uh, five of them are already out of the house. 
My sixth child is about to go to college. So, you know, I've, I've got my kids primarily grown for the most part. And I've never put a single kid in government school. And I never will. So wow. we have homeschooled our children for the first 17 plus years. Now we put them in a private school. Uh, it costs us dearly, but we sacrifice other things. We don't live in a very fancy home. We don't, et cetera, go on very many vacations uh, because we make the sacrifice to put our children in, in homeschool and or private education uh, solutions. And I submit to you that we need to reclaim our education. If you want your children to have respect for God, family, and country, and you expect to put them in the godless government schools, the familyless government schools, um, you're going to be sorely mistaken. And when our children come out of these government education centers all the way from kindergarten or even the jumpstart early programs in school, three, four years old, whatever, and then you have them come out of high school, then you have them go to a government education uh, in college where the government pays and gives you grants and student loans and everything else. And, you know, you're indoctrinated. They're godless centers. You bring up the things that I'm bringing up about honest money. You bring up the things that I'm bringing up regarding pro-life. Um, you know, they will absolutely destroy you, ridicule you, mock you, persecute you in college uh, to where you'll just shut up or leave. Okay. These uh, centers have become literally godless and they are indoctrinating our youth to the point where they come out. We have lost our ability to have these familiar relationships. They have polarized us. They have turned us into racists and bigots and, and liberals and conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and, uh, you know, pro-life and pro-death and, and, and every yeah. fault line has been deeply cemented in the indoctrination camp they've been in this whole time. Some can say that I'm overstating the issue, but I submit to you uh, that until we reclaim education, we will never get back to the pro-life honest money scenario in America because everyone's on the take. Everyone's vested in this system that says, hey, grandma doesn't have any kids, but she's going to pay for school anyway. Hey, little Johnny and, 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 and his new bride, Tina, they don't have any kids, but they're going to pay too. And, and so we need to get back to this idea that when you get something for nothing, when you become on the dole, you can pretend it's, it's, it's admirable. You can pretend that it's, oh, that's the societal way. Look, I pay for education and I invest in it, but then I get out of it later and we all share in this. And if it was by agency, by willingness to choose to be part of it, that may be true. But when it's compulsory, that isn't true. It's flat out socialism. And that's the way over the last hundred years they've conned us all into a socialistic utopia that's not working out very well, sir. Yeah, actually, th th that's a fantastic uh, fantastic point there that you know, it is indoctrination camps. In fact, I saw a, uh, I think it was a video on Prager University. And they, yeah, they said- Prager does a phenomenal job, by the way. Oh, he does amazing. Yeah, he, he definitely fights against the, the education um, battle. <laughs> he did fight against the indoctrination there. And I believe one of his videos I saw this week or last week, it said, that in all 50 states, critical race theory is being taught in um, uh, K through 12 education. And I, like my jaw dropped. I thought, oh, really? So I, I, I graduated high Absolutely school. Absolutely a fact. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what blew my mind because I'm from Wyoming, right? Graduated high school from there. And the I, like me trying to comprehend, Wyoming is the most conservative group of people in you know, place ever. And the, me trying to comprehend that, that a school would teach critical race theory there blows my mind but then it also got me really nervous because i thought oh gosh are my kids being taught that like how many of the schools in all these states are teaching it right now my kids go to um an academy right so it's a little more private but i i still don't trust that they wouldn't teach him that <laughs> like it really got me um concerned that they they are getting indoctrinated and to that point we see 
um, because of the indoctrination that's been going on for years that you have people like Bernie Sanders or AOC who they are they're actually supported, right? They're validated <laughs> to, uh, to these individuals to go, oh, those are great ideas. And, but they're completely illogical. But to someone who has been indoctrinated, they no longer see what is morally right or even what is yeah, what because is logically an emotional correct. discussion. How dare exactly. you challenge the education system that my neighbor has been a teacher for 43 years and she's the most honorable, nice person on the planet. You've got to be wrong. And so we <laughs> yeah. deceive ourselves into this because we've been indoctrinated. It's true. Your neighbor might be a good person. But they're teaching the curriculum of the party in power, regardless of the intentions of your neighbor, who may be a good person. Your neighbor may be softening that message. Your neighbor may be even somewhat contradicting that message. But as soon as that's found out, your your neighbor will be gone. And, and so, you know, it's a very difficult situation that we find ourselves in because our goal is not to attack our neighbor. OK, if we criticize the FBI and say they've become a criminal enterprise, which is true, it doesn't mean that your neighbor or somebody in your church that works for the FBI is a bad person. That's not what we're saying. And so it's a very dicey discussion when you take on these issues as plainly and openly as I do, because I'm not here to criticize your neighbor that may be a God fearing, wonderful teacher. She may or he may have dedicated their lives um, to this idea that we want to help youth and we want to empower people and we want to give people the nuts and bolts to life. And they may be absolutely pure in their dedication to that. It's the system that is undermining their efforts, though. It is the corruption uh, of the compulsory system by nature in the first place that is the problem. We've, and we've deceived ourselves into thinking it's not so bad. The ends justify the means. Oh, I know it's not perfect, but it's better than the alternatives. And we've deceived ourselves over the years into this, this rationalization idea. And now look where we are. And now they're even teaching this gender bender idea uh, yeah. where I just did a, a news headline where they keep asking this kid that's eight years old, are you sure you're not a girl? And he's a boy. And they say, I know, but you, you have tendencies to, to be like a girl and you, you seem to want to, you know, embrace girl um, traits and behaviors. And okay. And now the parents are suing the school over the very questioning that this system had for their child unbeknownst to them until they discovered it. Now they're suing oh, over it. That, yeah, that, that is, that is scary. And it's also, it shows you how, how uh, empowered that these people, these people are, right. These people who push these, uh, uh, evil, uh, ideas and ideologies, they, they know that they are, in such a position of power because they can, they can brazenly do these things, right? They can just go around the parents and, and know that they can get away with this because a number of parents won't find out. Or if the parent does find out, they, they probably will only get a slight slap on the wrist, right? Um, it's like those schools who would get, they would give uh, teenagers access to contraceptives without informing parents, right? They were, in fact, the whole program was meant to give the child the choice if they wanted to do this or not without the parent trying to intervene and, and, you know, force the child to be celibate. My, my goodness. Yeah, like and that. believe it or not, this all comes from the United Nations convention on the rights of the child. So this is all top down from global government, right on down to your local school. And you can't believe how top to bottom it is. But if you really study the convention on the rights of the child and, 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 and the United Nations and everything else, they do believe little children should be sexually active and have freedom to choose as they want and that abortions, you know, you shouldn't have to go to parents for permission for abortions. And, and they believe this all the way through. And it's literally wow. codified in global United Nations documents called the conventions on the rights of the child. This is not a joke. Go study it. Um, 
to those who question what I'm saying. It is pervasive and it's everywhere. And now we're starting to see it kind of come home to roost, right? Americans are waking up to the reality of what they're facing. Yeah, I I feel like I, I maybe I'm a little bit pessimistic, but I almost feel like, golly, it's it's a little too late without there being some I, I, like in my mind to go if we're going to overcome this and, and return to what is proper, what is good, what is moral. It, it may, maybe the effort is too Herculean for us to get there, right? Uh, it, it, it almost feels like there are pockets within the U.S. that may be able to uh, stave off this plague for a time if we put a lot of work into it. But nationally, I have a lot of doubts that we're going to be able to accomplish it without there being some serious, uh, uh, serious undertakings. Uh, at least that's how I feel. Um, when it well, comes I think to... you're right on a nationalistic viewpoint, but I think on an individual and a family basis, uh, it's never too late to turn to a greater source of power and to seize the day to make changes in our own lives and in our own families and receive blessings from those changes, receive blessings from obedience to those eternal principles that make men free. And so I understand your point, and I think uh, on a nationwide point of view, there may be uh, validity to what you're saying, but I never want to circumvent this idea that we can make a difference in our own lives and in our own families, and it's never too late for that opportunity or the blessings that come therefrom. That's a that's a very good point. It's so easy to to give up on on the very opportunities and efforts that are at your disposal that can actually make a major impact uh, just because <laughs> we see, you know, it's almost like we look at the whole pie and maybe the pie has some uh, stuff sprinkled on it we don't like. We go, well, the whole pie is awful. It's like, well, your own piece is still good. Well, that's true. Yeah, I can, there's still there's still power um, and influence that I have within my sphere that can, that can actually fight against us and create better outcomes. I know that that actually... That's something that my parents did carefully with us growing up. They they were always very careful uh, with ensuring that we had our regular religious um, traditions, right? Meaning we had family prayer, prayer every night together. We had family dinner every night. We had uh, family scripture study every night. And then every Sunday we attended church faithfully, right? Like those traditions, those things that you do uh, that they did faithfully um, and not begrudgingly, have made a really big impact because I know a lot of my contemporaries, they, uh, people I, I have been friends with and I've gone to school with or in my grade or my age, I've seen them all fall away. And I found that the greatest difference between uh, what kept me in my faith and kept me uh, close to the Constitution uh, was the fact that my parents were very uh, consistent with these small but regular efforts. Remember in this war in heaven that I mentioned that continues on earth between good and evil, uh, the gulf is growing ever wider between the two. And each side has never been as highly organized as it is today. And remember that, you know what, if we're on God's side, it is highly organized. And George Washington had a vision where he believes the flag will be blown in the breeze when the Savior Jesus Christ returns. I believe the same. And so we, I get it that it's discouraging from time to time, and I get the frustration, and I get the worry and the concern, but we need to jettison fear and replace it with faith. And we need to do all within our power and trust in God after we do our best that he'll do the rest. And I guess what I'm saying is I'm never willing to give up on the greatest country on the face of the earth, no matter how bad it gets. And I'm always willing to believe in that, that uh, our first president, and I know some would debate that he's not our first president, but figuratively speaking so, George Washington, the great general who literally lost almost every battle but won the war. Uh, I would submit to you that it's very like-minded in our day where, you know what? 
Uh, we do win in the end if you believe in the good book. We do win in the end if you believe George Washington's vision. And I, for one, declare this nation shall endure. And as difficult as it may get, it may not be pleasant day in and day out along the way. And the more wrong choices we as a people make, the more tough it'll be. Uh, that's why I advocate for the moral high ground, uh, for us to make choices that will bring about blessings. But I submit to you that in the end, we win, uh, and there are great things ahead. And so I don't preach fear, I preach faith. I don't preach the problems with America. I highlight them because you got to know where you are to know where you want to go. But I point out solutions, uh, and I believe this nation shall endure. We, the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, can and will restore our grand old republic. We may not do it as a whole nation. We will do it in communities, covenant communities, and in societies. Uh, but understand that really government is nothing but a mirror of the family. And where we need to spend our most important time is within the walls of our own home, in our own individual families. And there's where we can make the biggest gains, uh, where the quickest turnarounds can happen, and most importantly, where the greatest work will be done generationally. And so I'm, for one, never willing to be discouraged or give up. I get that we're in tough times. I get that it's, that it's uh, you know, we got a road to hoe for sure. But I also get who we are. We were not born by accident in these last days. God put us here for a reason. Uh, and it's time to get on your knees and pray hard and then get up to go to work. And uh, that's kind of the, the methodology that I uh, believe in and, and advocate for. You know, you know, uh, you what you said made me think about how uh, the the settlement of the Utah Territory, right? Um, for those who are listening who may not be quite as familiar, uh, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, right? You have thousands of these people of this religious organization who they they literally had to exodus themselves from the United States for religious persecution uh, reasons. The the first uh, the you know the very first right that we recognize uh in the bill of rights was completely um done away with and then subsequently there are other rights as well and so because of that reason because they were not safe to believe as they wanted to believe and and live as they chose to live they left the, the united states they went to <laughs> a territory that was not the united states at the time and they came to utah and then you, you had met the, the reason i'm bringing this up is because you said that we may have to it may not be the whole United States that continues to live as the old Republic ought to be. And at the time America had really was not living properly in that way. At least there was a great injustice done, done toward the Latter-day Saints. And when they came into the Valley here and they're settling, they, they unfurled the banner of the constitution because they had every intent to continue to live by that heavenly banner, by, by that divine law, right? This law that allowed them to have a government that was sound and, and, and good. And I always thought that was very interesting, and you bringing that up um, in the sense that maybe not everyone will live it, that's true. Regardless of what takes place, you can still be those who who can be a, a bastion of liberty and freedom and, and even the Constitution, uh, regardless of how small your group or how ostracized, ostracized you might be. Yeah, because I have children and grandchildren, that's what I will advocate for, and I, I submit to you that... the. Uh, the uh, what do they say? If, if you don't uh, study and if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. I yeah. think that could be true for the bad and the good. And, and I think we can repeat history for the good. And I don't preach revolution. Uh, I preach restoration because the founding fathers didn't have the principles. They didn't have the checks and balances. They didn't have the blueprint for liberty that we have today. They fought and died and bled and gave their sacred honor and sacred fortunes and everything else on the altar of that liberty that we so that we prize so dearly but i submit to you that we can use the system the checks and balances they gave us we can restore the republican we don't need revolution we need restoration to do it i agree so then uh, when we look at like how culture 
how that really is, you know, it's a great, uh, it is what influences what our politics are going to be, uh, our our nation as a whole, the health of our nation is a reflection of the family unit, as you said. I know there's a lot of people in Utah, if we look a little more locally here, that are very concerned about where Utah might end up heading, and actually where it really is kind of heading a little bit currently, uh, because you have a large influx of people who are moving in from uh, blue states, from states that are primarily run by uh, Democrat leaders. And uh, you and I had had briefly touched on the subject just uh, before we actually did this interview, and I, I wanted to get your perspective here. What do you say to those who are concerned about all of these? For example, you see a lot of people moving in from California, buying up houses here, living here. What do you say to those who are concerned that they're going to come here and then, quote unquote, ruin the state with the same politics that they used to ruin their previous state? I would say shine your light brightly and raise it up. Do not let your light be under a bushel. And what I mean by that is, look, technology is not good or bad. It just exists. It's in the hands of those who are using it, whether it becomes good or evil. And I submit the same thing is true here. If we live our lives in such a way to promote God, family, and country, to protect life, liberty, and property, those who gather, I don't believe they're coming by accident. I believe they're coming under the guidance of God. It's fulfilling prophecy. And I think that what we need to do is let our light so shine forth to them. Teach them the principles of liberty. Teach them the sacred cause of the Constitution. Teach them to understand there's a higher source of power than government. We don't need to, to dig into the keys of theology and force them to believe exactly as we do on the, the tenants or uh, the theologian side of the discussion. Uh, but we can teach them that it is about God. Family is the fundamental need of society. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth and teach them about the principles of agency and why. And I believe those who come here to, to a great degree are led here. They're not coming here by accident. And I believe many of them, they're not all perfect, neither are we, but many of them are the pure in heart. And the Lord is leading them to us to get uh, tutored, loved, befriended, uh, all these words that I can use that, that denote our responsibility to them. You know what? We have a responsibility with the liberty that we've been given. We're given much, given, uh, much is required. When, when we've been given a lot, there's a lot required of us uh, from Almighty God. And so I think that we need to embrace this. That doesn't mean I embrace illegality, okay, when it comes to some of the immigrants or whatever. I support the law, the land, and all that. But I, what I'm getting at is I think that we need to embrace this and say, hey, what can I do? to teach more people about the principles of liberty. What can I do to live my life in such a way that people go, I want a family like that. I want to believe in God like that. When I'm around this guy, I feel hope. When I'm around this guy, I feel like, man, there's a lot that I can do. And uh, I know everybody may not be able to advocate for freedom in the way that I do. Many people are much better writers than I am. Many people have a whole lot more money than I have. Uh, you know, there's a lot that I lack, but I, I hope that when people uh, are around me, th it's infectious. This desire to promote the sacred cause of liberty, this desire to educate towards the fundamental unit of society, the family, this willingness to do all that I can, regardless of my limitations. I hope people can, it can feel that and it becomes infectious. And so that's what I would say to these people is you can always look at the negative. You're not going to stop the people from coming. Many of them are seeking a better life. You can't blame them. Uh, however, many of them are pure in heart, 
and they are willing to be tutored. They are willing to learn. They're seeking for what we have, and they will embrace it if we do our part properly. That would be my response. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's so – I love that. And actually, I wanted to point out uh, for those listening, uh, the implications as to what you're saying, if for someone to see what we have and go, God, I, I, there's a light about this person, or I love what they have, or they have a great, strong family, et cetera, right? Um, in order for them to really observe that and to feel that way and then to take it upon themselves to um, – to do the same, to reflect it, to have it in their own lives. We have to befriend these people. Don't ostracize them, right? Like don't, don't treat them like some alien, uh, from, from another planet because we have assumptions about what they may believe or advocate for. Or maybe we have, uh, actual indications as, uh, that we know some of them might be, um, persuaded, uh, one direction or another, but that doesn't matter. We have to First of all, we have to interact and be their friend. So we have to have associations with them that are positive, that are good. We build a community with them. But then the other side is we are unapologetically uh, good, right? We, we are unapologetic about the fact that, yeah, like these things are about God. These things are about having a, a, a good family. These things uh, are exactly what, you know, no one else is willing to talk about, but we have to be willing to talk about it, right? Like not, not make it well, this... When, uh, when Alex yeah, de Tocqueville... Came Alexis de Tocqueville came to the United States uh, a long, long time ago. Uh, he toured America, and he determined that America was great because America was good. And what he meant when he meant good was that they were good, honest, moral, hardworking, reliable, open people. And if America ceases to be good, meaning moral, America will cease to be great is what he basically predicted or said. And I think that's true in our modern day. I think we need to reach out with love and kindness. We need to treat others as we would want to be treated. We need to love the Lord God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength. And then we need to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, and, and neighbors means those who come to live near us, those who seek out what we have and, and are compelled to, to make changes and moves in their lives to try to have something better. You can't blame them for that. If I was in a different country and I could come to America, I'd do it in a second, buddy. Me too. <laughs> Actually, um, in on those same lines, just I, I wanted to point out. I feel like when we when we can embrace these people, we we can help them feel like they have a place to live, and and then they have people that care about them, and therefore our examples will have meaning to them. Uh, there will be a shift in culture in the right direction. Right? There's not going to be this conflict of cultures, and, and uh, one of the things that uh, stood out to me about this importance of embracing culture that is good is I, this was maybe two years ago. I went to, I went to the bank, went to the Chase Bank and went inside and I just had a small chit chat, um, with, uh, with the lady who was there. And I asked her, Oh, you know, what are you going to school for? And she told me, I forgot what it was specifically, but in the end, uh, what she's working on doing and, and, and wanting to do aside from being like a teller at the bank was that she helps people, um, who come from other countries, uh, to settle in, but then also uh, to fight against this idea that they have to give up, um, they have to give up their culture uh, at all, but that they can retain all of their culture while still living in America. And it, like, I, I really, I had a bit of a reaction to that internally. I didn't say anything, but my thought was, you know, the, you you have this important need of those who come over to America to embrace the culture of America, right? That doesn't mean you abandon everything that you had once before, but that you embrace those things that make America good. Uh, you continue to, uh, you can you can continue to enjoy the traditions that you've had, but then you have to be able to let things go 
that are contradictory to the very fundamentals that make America good, not just lawfully, but uh, culturally, societally. Yes, I agree that we can uh, maintain many cultures, and, and I think the cultures are wonderful. And I think in uh, the state of Utah, for example, we have a lot of different days, uh, you know, um, where we celebrate different cultures. We learn about their food, their dances, their clothing, their lifestyles there. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, we need to remember, though, that when you become America, you leave your old country behind for a reason. That doesn't mean that you leave all the cultural and good traditions behind, but it does mean that you embrace enough of America uh, to become an American. In other words, you need to tie to the principles of liberty. And the only way you do that is by studying who we are as a people, by studying American history and what got us to our, our current status. You know, America is not a perfect country. We've got a lot of mistakes made in the past. The way we treated the, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there was an extermination order against them. The way we've retreated, retreated the blacks, uh, the way we treated the Indians. And so, you know, we have mistakes along the way. I don't like to highlight those mistakes. I like to acknowledge them so we don't repeat them. Uh, but I prefer to focus on the good that America is. And I hope we can get past a lot of our mistakes and we can embrace people for who they are. And that we can uh, learn to have a blend between um, you know, bring forth all the good that they have and see if we can add unto it. And if we can do that, I think we've achieved success. What would you say, I want to ask you, what are the uh, things that you are noticing in, whether it's Utah or even all, uh, America as a whole, that show you there's an indication that we are headed in the right direction, culturally speaking? I think there's been a real march to pro-life in recent decades. <clears throat> I think greater imaging. Uh, Mike Lee does a radio commercial. Well, he, actually, he actually spoke on the, the Senate floor or whatever, and I turned it into a radio commercial. And what he <laughs> says is because of imaging and because of the hardworking uh, people in the um, medical arena and talk show hosts and writers and columnists, and we're making tremendous progress in the pro-life movement. In fact, President Donald Trump, some like him, some don't, but I will say this, he spoke to the pro-life rally the pro-life folks who meet in Washington, D.C. every year. That was the first time the United States president has literally addressed them in person. And so I think we're making a lot of gains in the pro-life arena. I think because of uh, the COVID, people are starting to learn about education and how betrayed they've uh, been with regards to the education system. And more Americans are starting to take back education and say, look, we need a different plan for us and our family. Uh, I think people... Um, are becoming more faithful. Uh, you know, the way you can tell about a society and its faith is if miracles follow them. Uh, and so God can do miracles where there is faith. And I believe that you see a more faithful contingent. A lot of people are leaving religion. I get it. They're losing their religion. But a lot of people are strengthening their commitment to God. And uh, there is a, a serious, I don't know if I should use the word contingent, but a serious portion of the population that is much more religious than they've ever been where they took prayers casually, now they're praying seriously, where they took religious uh, study and, and, and studying scriptures and reading the Bible and everything else uh, in a casual way, they're taking it much more seriously. And I believe as the faith grows stronger, miracles grows stronger, where God is able to perform miracles among the faithful. And so I think there's a lot of that happening in the country as well, and you can see it everywhere. I also believe there's an effort for people to be kind to one another. You know, you've seen recently when you go through a, a line at a fast food restaurant where people pay for the order behind them and they pay it forward. 
where you see people do random act of kindness or you see uh, somebody leaving a massive tip for a waiter or waitress and saying, hey, please distribute this among your staff. Um, There's a lot of people doing a lot of things that when I was a youngster, I didn't hear very much about those things. But now I hear more and more and more of that happening. So I think the faithful are getting or more faithful than they've ever been. And like I say, the gap between the righteous and the wicked is growing stronger. There's more wickedness, but there's also more righteousness. And, and I think as we embrace that, there's a lot of good to be had, and we need to acknowledge it, support it, and do our best to help it grow and make it popular. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sam, for, for answering my questions and let me uh, pick your brain uh, on on this topic. Uh, before I, I let you go here, I know we've, we've taken up our, our full hour. Um, I, I have to ask you one question. This has actually been on my mind. I, I didn't want to divert too much from the things we were discussing, but I want to go back to your example because I feel like you've been a fantastic example of showing that you know if you're serious about uh, keep keeping your family away from this indoctrination and, and allowing them to be also, when they grow up, become bastions for good, you you said you have eight kids and that you chose not to let them you know be indoctrinated in the school you know their education camps the the um government run schools how did you go about doing that especially with eight kids i mean that must have been quite uh, quite an undertaking you know it has to do partly with career choices my wife and i have had careers where we've been able to work from home together and uh, as a result, we were able to, uh, you know, raise our children at home together. We never had to get any babysitters or, or, you know, that kind of thing, put them in daycare or anything like that. And we were able to homeschool them for the longest time. And then we found a private school. They actually go to American Heritage is the school, but it's a private school. Uh, and so between homeschool and private school, we've been able to educate them ourselves without government support or assistance or involvement in any way. And like I mentioned, it's been a big sacrifice, not only of time, uh, but of money. And it really comes down to how much do you prize uh, the principles that, that make families great? How much do you prize not being on the government dole? How much do you prize and what sacrifices are you willing uh, to entertain to gain the prize? And for my wife and I, it was to live in not as nice of a home. For my wife and I, it was less vacations. For my wife and I, it was, you know what, sometimes doing without a lot of things uh, to make this possible. And so I submit to you that sacrifice brings the blessings. And it's been a plenty of sacrifice. I'm not trying to play the martyr here, but I am trying to illustrate that, you know what, to get a true God-ordained education takes personal and family sacrifice. And it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. That's by design. That's awesome. Um, now, thank you so much again for, for being on the show here. Um, I... If people want to tune in to listen to your own you know, Liberty Roundtable, I, I know you have it in the podcast form, you also uh, in radio form, what would you say are the best avenues for them to find uh, your show and to listen and tune in to you? There's two websites, libertyroundtable.com, all one word, just like it sounds. Libertyroundtable.com is for my talk show, and it's syndicated by an organization called the Loving Liberty Radio Network, lovingliberty.net. And uh, it's available just about everywhere. If you go there, you'll get links to the podcast, to the live uh, shows. I'm live two hours a day, six days a week. And I'd love to have you listen.